this is my best friend Jen and her, her glasses have flowers on <laughs> she just asked me do your glasses have flowers on them and when I said yes she said okay <laughs> I was really struggling to come up with the fact this morning guys uh, this is my best friend Kelly and she has to have sex with her lemon tree <laughs> um I think that we should clarify. <laughs> Is that not accurate? I don't have sex with the tree. I help the tree have sex with itself. Wow, that's really nice of you. Mm-hmm. Facilitating self-pollination for my lemon tree. That's so great. She's in bloom right now. What's her name? I've never named her. The only plant mm. that has a name is Monica. You should name her Liz. Liz Lemon. Mm. Tracks, yeah. Yeah. All right. Liz it is. Love it. Liz, it is. <laughs> that was really great. Oh, did they? This is going to be a hard day. I know. I know. I was just <laughs> thinking. Gonna be a hard like, day. Oh, we've made some mistakes Woo. here. All right. What are we talking about today? Feelings and thoughts and the difference between them. That's so great. Yeah. When I say feelings, what, what comes to mind? Everything. All of them. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. what really comes to mind is. Um, <laughs> I'm like nothing? No. <laughs> Just how out of touch we are with our feelings, I think, is a big mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind. And it's interesting because so much what we do in therapy, like the classic kind of stereotype about therapy is, you know, tell me what you say more about. How do you feel about that or mm-hmm. whatever? And it's I think a big part of what we do is educate our clients even about feelings in general and identifying them because so many people don't know what they're feeling. They think they're feeling crazy. That's like the Mm -hmm. main thing. Almost, I've said this before, but like everybody wants to come in and say, I just need to know I'm not crazy because they feel crazy, which really means they feel overwhelmed, but they feel Mm -hmm. crazy. What do you think about when you hear feelings? My initial thought is how much people don't like feelings. They don't like experiencing yeah. them. I think they don't like talking about them. And I think the same thing as you're saying about the like people want to know they're not crazy, but I think a lot of people have a couple feelings and pretty unpleasant ones that they can hone in on and that they're like that's what I'm always feeling. That's what I'm always feeling. That's and and sometimes that's accurate and sometimes it's not. It's like okay, I think it's a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um so I think most people do struggle with feelings vocabulary mm-hmm. and then also tracking their feelings cuz I think it's a little bit easier as a human to use hindsight to figure out your feeling experience, but it's a lot harder for people to know what they're feeling in the moment as it's happening. And that's one of those things that I feel like I do a lot of work with clients on is like trying to figure out that attunement of like, okay, well in the moment, like, can I ask how did that feel for you? And they'll be like, Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Which we'll get more into as the episode progresses. But I think that hindsight thing is a good example of like thoughts versus feelings of Mm -hmm. when you're looking backwards and reflecting on something, you are thinking about this whole context of the situation. And so identifying feelings based on information that logically and cognitively makes sense versus based on information that you're getting in the moment during a situation. Oh, yeah. Which it's so interesting because a lot of people look back on things with hindsight 
and have a lot of self-criticism. And it's like, well, that's because you know all the information now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's yeah, it's very easy to kind of shoot all over yourself about it because now you know all of it. You didn't at the time. Mm -hmm. And also, I think working through some of that, like, what are the thoughts and feelings that we have towards ourselves, like, in the moment when maybe we're not making the healthiest choices or doing the things that we really want ourselves to do but don't know till later. Mm. Yeah, feelings are really hard. Yeah. So I think we we can start with this place of what even are feelings. <laughs> and there's two parts to them. There is the emotion part of feelings and then the sensation part of feelings, which is the felt sense or the body experiences that mm-hmm. come with feelings. And so I will really try to help people either expand their language around the emotional side. The biggest, I think that people really struggle with the sensation part of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that is the hardest part of it for them. And then it's also the most distressing part. And so it's Mm -hmm. the part that they like to stay away from the most. So if we can start with this place of like, okay, let's expand your language beyond happy, sad, angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I've talked with a lot of clients about, especially if they like come for anger management kind of stuff. It's like, well, anger is very accessible to you mm-hmm. because it's very normalized in our culture and particularly if you're a man and they will be able to identify like, oh, I know I'm angry, but they can't really say anything beyond that. And so it's not the idea necessarily that anger is a secondary emotion, but anger is not usually a solitary emotion, I would say, and like mm-hmm. other stuff comes with it. Um, the idea that anger is secondary means like you also you feeling something under the anger, but I would say you feel something with the anger. But anyway, yeah, I would agree. And I know I've said before that like anger is where you can find your power. And so I think if you're feeling at a disadvantage or what or or whatever that is, then it's then anger is easily accessible because it's the only thing that helps make you feel a little bit powerful or like you have a semblance of control mm-hmm. in a situation. Mm-hmm. And of course, we want to feel like we have some control if we're feeling out of control about something that's happening. That's interesting. Maybe this goes later, but do you think that out of control is a feeling or a thought? I feel like this is a, a, an escape answer, but I think it's both. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's both too, but um, because I think sometimes feeling out of control is that idea of like, I don't feel like I can connect with the feelings that I'm having. Like I'm having maybe so many of them or I'm almost dissociating from the feeling situation because my body is so overwhelmed by them. And mm-hmm. that feels like I have no control yeah, or no inward connection with myself. Mm. I like it. Okay. I don't have inward connection with myself. So I'm feeling disconnected mm-hmm. is really what, the emotion part of feeling out of control is. And then the thought part is I, I have no control. That's a thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the feeling is disconnected from myself. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. That was, wasn't expecting (laughs) that question to pop up in my head. And so anyway, um, so let's kind of talk about what are some more of the feelings besides just happy, mad or sad. There's so many. There is so many. In Brene's newest book, there's 87 of them. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> In the book that your uh, microphone is resting on right now, there's 87. One of my new brand new clients, we were talking, she saw all my Brene books on my bookshelf and she was like, oh my God, love Brene. And we were talking about this latest book and she said, did you know that Brene has asked that this book not be um, translated into other languages? Because mm. the feelings vocabulary in it does not translate in, in the ways that it, you know, would be most helpful. And I was like, oh, my God. That makes sense. That's fascinating trivia. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Also sucks for people that don't speak English. English. I know. But um, all right. So, yeah, other feelings, words. I don't know. Embarrassed, frustrated, joyful. I th- so this is interesting. Something that I notice when I'm trying to help people expand their vocabulary, it is much easier to identify feelings, words that have negative connotation than it Mm -hmm. is to identify ones that have positive connotation. And so Mm -hmm. I try really hard to include those. So um, like excited, amazement, Mm -hmm. awe, hopeful. Yep. Um, Connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I do a lot is instead of saying negative feelings, and I like how you added the word connotation in there, but instead of saying negative feelings, positive feelings, I just say unpleasant versus pleasant. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to get yeah in that habit of being like, these feelings are not good for me to feel. Like, all your feelings are good for you to feel. But also, let's not villainize any of our feelings. <laughs> yes, I try very intentionally to commun- like have conversation around the idea of, like, I feel good versus I feel bad. Because mm-hmm. um, those aren't feelings. Those are no. deductions that you've made or, like labels that you've placed on certain feelings based on your experience of them. So mm-hmm. I, I do say also like, I'll say something like feelings that you identify as good or bad, but I like yeah. the pleasant versus unpleasant. And I will often say um, like something that causes distress. Oh yeah. So, yeah. which is the same as unpleasant, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how um, you had this pillow and then I got one in my office too, but it is a, Feelings and sensations wheel. So feelings wheels are very, very common. If you've ever been to therapy, you've probably seen one. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've ever been my client, you have received one because I give one to everybody pretty much. But it's, you know, a circle that is divided into different sections with like the core emotions of happy, sad, scared, um, angry, excited. And then there's like one other one I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Disgust might be the other Mm-hmm. Um, and they're different too. They're not all the same, but this pillow that Jen and I have in our office, um, has feelings, but then it also has sensations that are commonly paired with those feelings, which has been a very useful tool to help people integrate the idea of a feeling is an emotion and a sensation experience at the same time. Um, yes, your feelings live inside of your body. Mm-hmm. And so getting more aware of what's going on with your body helps you understand and put language to the emotional side of things. So if we, I'm assuming you do the same thing. If a client's like, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I'll be like, pick up the pillow. Like, uh-huh. look at the wheel. What do you notice? And they always roll their eyes at me, but then they always mm-hmm. use it and, you know, are glad that they're, it's there. So. Yeah. I also love when I'm like, yeah, okay, how are we feeling about that? And then they're like, oh, give me the pillow. <laughs> it's like, that's what it's there for. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which I think another part of that piece of people not wanting to connect with their feelings or talk about them, especially some of the unpleasant ones, is because of the discomfort that then you have to bring attention to that exists inside your body. Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to avoid... 
a lot of people are trying to avoid those things, right? We don't want to focus on the things that feel unpleasant and uncomfortable for us. Yeah, they're either trying to avoid them or like fix it right away. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's really challenging for folks is when they identify feelings, especially if they're very like solution focused kind of people. And they're like, all right, like, how do I how do I make this feeling stop? And it's like, oh, I don't have that answer for you. I can help you tolerate it and sit with you in it. But the only thing that's going to make it stop is going through it, mm. which people hate to hear that. And I hate to tell people that. And I hate to experience it myself, too. But it's true. Yeah. Well, and feelings are like the weather. Like, they come and, and they they can pass through like a rainstorm does. Or we can get, like, stuck in some of those things. And I think that's also the hardest thing is finding balance between how can we allow ourselves to feel the feeling but not get so stuck in it. And I think that's also where thoughts come in when we start having, you know, the thoughts about the feeling or, or maybe even ruminating on how we're feeling about the feeling, our own judgment about it, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. The spiral. Mm -hmm. I also really like using the emotion wheel because I like to talk to people about, um, being at a neutral place. And so like Mm -hmm. if neutrality is the center of the wheel and then you can, Like if you picture yourself on this big circle and you like step out into sadness, but then you can step back into neutral or you step Mm -hmm. out into excitement and then back into neutral because people like to think that if I'm not this, then it must mean I'm that. Oh, yeah. And so I'll talk with people a lot about like the absence of happiness is neutral. It's not sadness. Yeah. The presence of sadness is not or the absence of sadness is not happiness. It's neutral. And so it's like instead of thinking about your feelings on a scale of zero to 10, think about it on a scale of negative 10 to 10. And zero is like the starting place. Yeah. And then things that feel distressing or unpleasant to you can go on that negative side. And the things that feel pleasant to you or enjoyable can go on the positive side mm-hmm. and stepping in and out of that. And that's what, when we talk next week about coping skills, like coping skills are hopefully going to help bring you back to a neutral place mm-hmm. because you can't, this idea that we have to be happy all the time is like, that's very exist. dangerous. Yeah. 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 Well, I think then also what can happen is if you've been stuck in the unpleasant place or those feelings feel more accessible to you and you don't know what to do about that and you don't want to, maybe you're avoiding that. That's when dissociation comes into place where mm-hmm. you're like, I'm stuffing my feelings down. I'm stuffing them down. And once we've done that enough times, our body learns that, okay, it's not okay to feel these feelings. It's unsafe. Yep. And then, that's when dissociation can become kind of our default, which is concerning for a lot of reasons. Yep. What do you think would be some common um, emotion and sensation like pairs that you see? Like, for example, anxiety often pairs with an increased heart rate or mm-hmm. um, for me, sweating. <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. what are some other like common kind of things do you think you see? Um, let's see. I think with anger, it's some kind of muscle tension, mm-hmm. right? Like you have like a tent. Yeah. Like tense jaw, you're clenching your fists, um, something like that. Um, some other unpleasant feelings, I think a lot of times either live in our chest or our stomach. Mm-hmm. So, right. We have like that weird indigestion feeling <laughs> or tightness in our chest, like that kind of thing. So whether you're feeling like frustrated, um, maybe even overwhelmed. We can see some of those things of having like jitters a little bit when we're feeling overwhelmed or we're feeling anxious. But then I think sometimes we feel that on the more positive emotions or more pleasant emotions, we're feeling like really joyful or excited about something. And so we're like, 
we're feeling an increase in energy inside Mm -hmm. of our body. And so that's one of those things. Maybe if we're feeling sadness or just emotional upset, I think sometimes that lives a little bit in our sinuses. So think about like wanting to cry. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Some of that. Or I think a lot of times it really is that piece of muscle tension of where are you feeling that in your body and what is it making you want to do, right? Because sometimes people can't sit still, like they can't find a comfortable sitting position, or you might want to sit like in the kind of like go in on yourself, like almost like fetal position kind of thing, like hug your knees to your chest. Um, Because sometimes instead of feeling about what is the actual bodily sensation like what is your body telling you it wants to do because of the feeling that Mm -hmm. you're having yeah like the i mean this is kind of low-hanging fruit too but like the fight or flight kind of thing Mm -hmm. of like oh i'm feeling restless like i need to get up and move around it's like that might be a little bit of a flight response that your body is telling you that you're having um with the excited thing like if i get excited i cannot sleep like if i'm traveling Mm -hmm. I'm not sleeping that night, which is really annoying because then I'm really tired the next day. But it's just because I'm so excited to mm-hmm. do something. I have trouble sleeping. I think that's another thing, too, that um, makes it hard to notice when you're experiencing pleasant emotions is the body sensations maybe aren't as noticeable mm-hmm. to people. or And when I say noticeable, I don't mean that they're not there, but that they don't draw our attention because they're not unpleasant. So when something's unpleasant, we pay attention to it more because we want it to stop versus when something is pleasant, we don't pay as much attention to it because it doesn't feel like I know I'm kind Mm -hmm. of repeating myself, but there's no other way to explain (laughs) that. But I I really challenge clients to do check ins with themselves, not only when they notice unpleasant sensations, but just try to check in throughout the day of like, Mm -hmm. what am I noticing in my body? especially when you're feeling neutral or pleasant sensations. So you can get more attuned to recognizing those more often as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever I'm really working with a client who is challenged by feelings identification, I'm always like, all right, we're going to have to have a homework assignment of feelings tracking. And that can happen a couple different ways. Recently, I told someone like, every day, I want you to like track how you're feeling throughout your professional day and then a more personal feeling like when you're not at work. So like track two of those different things, or I'll just say like, all right, try to identify your feeling like in the morning, midday in the evening, or like usually we'll have some parameters of that. Cause just being like, track your feelings over the next 14 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for people's like, mm-hmm. where do I start? Or I'll give people a bunch of copies of the feelings wheel and be like, right Monday at the top of this and just highlight what you're feeling on Monday. Yep. Um, just whatever makes it a little bit easier for people. Cause I think again, it can be overwhelming to be like, I don't really notice my feelings unless they're unpleasant or unless they're one of the big three. So then how do I, where do I start with that? Or maybe I don't even know what it's like to feel excitement. Mm. Right. Maybe there's some like internal gaslighting going on. Cause they're like, is that excitement? I'm not really sure. How do other people like feel excitement versus me? And now we're gauging our own emotional experience based on how we're interpreting it through other people. Well, and I think that that's something also that comes up since both of us do a lot of trauma and nervous system informed things when you're talking about the like, I'm sure I'm positive you've had this experience that clients will come in and be like, everything's going really good, but I still feel really anxious because that phrase of like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so when people have trauma they've experienced 
usually trauma comes at a time where you're surprised by it or else it wouldn't be traumatizing to you. Like mm-hmm. it would still be distressing, but traumatizing is like that emotional learning that goes with an experience. And so a lot of times trauma can occur at a t- like either perpetrated by a person who you're supposed to trust or a time mm-hmm. when you are not expecting it to or a time when you're not totally in touch with your body, like under the influence of alcohol or something. Mm-hmm. And so then your nervous system learns it's never safe to feel relaxed. And so feeling relaxed can be a distressing thing. Yes. And so that then is also something that requires more education and working on that specifically. So that's kind of just a tidbit into that. I'm not going to go into super detail about it. But if you have experiences of like, oh, man, whenever I feel something that's supposed to feel positive or supposed to be pleasant, I can't experience that. Maybe reflect on what that might be about. Yeah, yeah. I like what you're saying, especially because I think that focuses on the emotional part of it. Like, okay, I'm I am feeling good, but there's some sensation that's still happening within my body that, yeah, that I'm unable to trust that or or whatever, or I'm anticipating something bad happening. I think then to take that more towards the thought part, it makes me think of patients who have been in maybe really unhealthy relationships in the past and then they get into what appears to be a healthy relationship Mm, and they're like i'm just waiting for this person to fuck up or i don't deserve this and so there's something that's happening that's feelings based right like we can't trust this like i'm have there's some been um, some emotional learning around this but it's more thought focused Mm -hmm. at that point versus what you were saying about it being feelings focused yeah so let i think that's a good segue into talking about how do you tell the difference between thoughts and feelings um Thoughts are a sentence. Yes. I, I've said this before and on the podcast, and I say this to clients all the time, is like, when you say, I feel like blah, 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 multiple words, it's typically a thought, unless you're yeah. saying, I feel happy and excited and amazed and nervous, like, then you're saying all feelings. But if you say something like, I feel like my mom was mad at me last night. Okay, you don't feel that. Mm-hmm. You have a feeling that goes with it, but that's the thought. The feeling might be, anxious yeah and so the feelings are usually one word and then thoughts are usually the sentences but as a culture we have really normalized that sentence of like i feel like this is blah 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 Mm -hmm. and so i try really hard to be careful about that in session but i use that language all the time too because i Mm -hmm. grew up in this world where that's how we talk but um it's important for your nervous system and your brain to make this connection of like, that is a thought. This is a feeling that is a thought. This is a feeling. So you can, Mm -hmm. because you have more power over the thoughts than you do the feelings. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes it's easier to identify the thought than the feeling Mm because we're not as connected to it. And I'm just, I'm kind of smirking a little bit because my husband recently was frustrated by something and he said he was reaching out for feedback from me and he was like, I don't know if I should be feeling like, do you think it's okay that I feel and what he said was um, a thought? And I was like, Oh, well, yes, I think it's totally okay that you are having that experience, but that's not a feeling. That's a thought. And he was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. He was like, I could tell that he was like, I need to go sit on this a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, that just made me want to interpret this experience in a different way. Mm -hmm. It's so, Tricky too, though, because especially in a therapy, I ran into this last week and I'm still trying to figure out how to articulate it the best way. But when I'm working with a client and trying to really help them identify emotions and sensations, 
but then trying to verbally communicate that. So oh, yeah. like, cause that's thinking, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't communicate without thinking. And so being able to articulate what you're experiencing emotionally and physically without turning it into a thought is really tricky. Yeah. Um, something that has been helpful for me, one of my goals for the new year has been meditating every day. And I know that's annoying to people if you don't meditate, but come with me on this journey really quick. (laughs) Wow, rude Um, (laughs) to those people. Well, just because, I mean, I'm sure you've also had people be like, don't tell me to meditate and don't tell me to breathe. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's like, oh, but those are really actually going to help a lot if you can do them. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, the meditation program that I'm doing is really focused on just labeling like distraction or, you know, trembling or like just mm-hmm. using one word kind of things to note stuff. And that's been really helpful for me instead of trying to turn emotions and sensations into a sentence that you're communicating Mm -hmm. with someone you can just make a bullet point of observations and that takes it less into the thinking place and more into the noticing place yeah yeah well and i for me when that's happening in session i think that's when i get up and go to my whiteboard to be like all right just we're talking about the thought just give me the thought Mm -hmm. all right now we're just talking about the emotion what's the emotion because i think there needs to be something concrete like you're saying you can't get away from the thinking of it Mm -hmm. because that's how we're figuring out our experience, but I think doing something really concrete where you can look at it helps be like, okay, this is the thing we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's move forward into this other thing. Mm-hmm. I think what's also really tricky and I hope this isn't kind of jumping ahead or anything is that. So from a cognitive behavioral standpoint, so CBT, um, you have the thought first And I think people think that the emotion is what we experience first that then causes a thought, but that's actually not the way that it happens in our brain is that you have an automatic thought. And then based on the thought, you have an emotional experience. And I think that can be really hard. Kelly doesn't like this. She doesn't like CBT, I guess. No, I'm not. It's not that I don't like it. It's I don't agree with that 100%. Um, I do think that often that is it mm-hmm. but i th- and i think from the emotion part but sometimes you have a the physical experience first oh. then you have the thought then you have the feeling mm-hmm. but that's the only reason i was making that face yeah so sorry i interrupted <laughs> you with my face Keep going. <laughs> no you're fine but i think that can be a, a hard thing for people and i think once you explain it a little bit more of like you're at the grocery store and you run into your ex and you were not expecting that. And so it might be easier for us to be like, I felt um, blindsided and shocked. And then I felt embarrassed because I wasn't expecting it when it's like, okay, because what was the actual thought that was happening? Like, Oh my God, there's my ex. I did not expect to see him today. Mm -hmm. And so based on that, that's where all the feelings came from. Mm -hmm. And with that example, I think maybe it has to do with how attuned you are to yourself, but Mm. I would say, I mean, I've had that type of experience before and it's like, first I would be like, Oh God, I thought I was going to throw up when I saw that person. (laughs) Right. And, and then I have a thought and then I have a feeling. So Mm -hmm. I do think that's like when you said I felt blindsided, I was like, to me, that feels like that stomach thing yeah so you were saying the emotional part and i was saying like the physical part but they all happen so fast together Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to say like 
what is actually occurring first. And so it feels like one giant experience, yeah. which is why it's really hard to suss out what's going on there. And mm-hmm. I guess, honestly, it doesn't really matter so much from the perspective of like identifying what happened first from what do you do next whenever you are having an experience. Because that, that yeah. idea of story follows state, follows story, follows state. Mm-hmm. So what that means is like your state is your physical experience of things. And then the story you make the story after that. I think that's another reason why I was like the physical part. Mm. Um, but then once you have the story that amplifies the state. So if I'm like, all right, I noticed that I'm feeling um, like I'm going to throw up. Then I tell myself a story of, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I'm seeing this person here and I, you know, didn't brush my hair today or whatever. And then you go into this state of like, oh yeah, now I'm really, now I'm sweating too. I'm not just going to mm-hmm. throw up. I'm going to sweat all over myself. And then, oh, they're going to notice that. And and it just goes round and round. Yeah. So. Which we, when that's happening, we probably don't have all of that insight that you're saying right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Moment, that's reflective. Right? Yeah. We're just like, I'm trying to put broccoli in the produce bag and I'm freaking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which which I that think fight or flight thing. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. shit, I got to get out of here. <laughs> well, and then that's the hindsight thing of by the time then you make it to your ther, but I unplugged my headphones accidentally with no. my, by the time you then make it to your therapy appointment, it's like, okay, we're probably a little bit more able to speak on that because we've made it through the part that felt emotionally activating and mm-hmm. everything. And that's another reason I'm shaking. I'm like, man, feelings are so hard because it's like, oh, I've had that experience. And it's like, I don't want to have to feel that again ever. That's hard. Yeah. That like I'm going to throw up in the produce section or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think and this is kind of getting to next week's episode. But like, I think sometimes when we're thinking about our coping skills, we're like, all right, let me like change the things that make me have these negative experiences. And that's like, okay, yes. Like, let me not date assholes who are emotionally abusive. So that way I don't have that experience again. But we cannot avoid every situation Mm -hmm. that's going to have an activation that feels unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not a good coping skill Mm -hmm. because we can't live in a bubble. Like we have to be able to create some distress tolerance for ourselves. That way, when I run into my ex at the grocery store, I'm able to tolerate that situation and move through it like in a way that feels, I don't empowering or or something. And so that way I can tolerate it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why the thinking part is important because thinking is the same as like self-talk basically Mm -hmm. and or self-talk comes from thinking. And so that idea of like, okay, you can, you can do this. You got this instead of like, that's the story part. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, Kelly, you got this. Yes, that person is here, but you can do it versus, okay, that person is here and I'm going to puke everywhere (laughs) and embarrass myself. Like those are going to be two different experiences. Yeah. So that self-talk piece is important. Yeah. Well, and I think there, that's when it comes in a little bit to what I say to clients a lot of times is that our thoughts have a really good job of lying to us, especially if you are someone with who's living with anxiety, like Mm -hmm. anxiety loves to lie to us. And so that can also be really difficult in learning how to be attuned to yourself, but also trust yourself. Cause if you're like, well, I can't trust my thoughts. And I think a piece of that is like, how can we reframe our thoughts? Cause like if I text Kelly and then I think she ignores my text message, the story or the thought that I'm having is, oh, no, I did something to upset her. Oh, no, she's mad at me. 
right? And then I have the feeling of I'm anxious, I feel uncertain, I feel, I don't know, sadness, disappointment, when really it's like, okay, are all those feelings valid? Yes, all of those feelings are true. That is a fact. That is how I'm emotionally experiencing the situation. But the thought is what might be the liar because it's not factual. It's Mm -hmm. not objectively true. No, Kelly took a nap because she ran into her ex at the grocery store and thought she was going to (laughs) puke. That's why she didn't text you back. So I think it's really important to have that attunement to our thoughts and and our self-talk, like you had said, because that's going to completely drive our emotional experience in most cases. Yeah, the way that I talk to clients about that exact thing is that idea of like, okay, yes, you're feeling, I say feelings are valid, but they aren't facts. Like it is a fact that you have the feeling, but it is not a fact that whatever the story around, which Mm -hmm. is a thought, but that that's the point is like being able to tell the difference between I feel sad and I think that Jen doesn't like me anymore. Well, you can't challenge the fact that you feel sad because it's true in the moment you do feel sad. So there's no room to reframe that or no room to challenge that, but you can challenge well, do you have any evidence to support that Jen doesn't like you anymore? Or like, what would make you say that? And so that's just the same thing that you just said, just another way of saying it. Yeah, because if it was, Jen doesn't like me anymore, would you feel sadness about that? And of course you would. Definitely. Why would you not? Of course. (laughs) But yeah, but if the the Jen doesn't like me anymore is not, we did some reality checking around that. And it's like, okay, you don't have any evidence about that. That's a story that we're telling ourselves, not something that we have proof of then and that's where then past experiences can come in and make this really tricky and like nervous system and emotional learning around experiences is like that's a helpful tool for in the moment navigating the spike of sadness that i'm feeling and then the thinking part of me might be like yeah but remember that other friend that you had this experience with and they really didn't like you anymore Mm -hmm. and so because i had this conversation with a client a couple weeks ago like you know something that makes this kind of experience really challenging for you is because you have had similar experiences in the past where you did everything right to try to navigate through that by being like, all right, I don't have any evidence to support this. I, you know, have to communicate with these people, blah, 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 whatever. And then it turns out that your anxiety was right. Oh, yeah. Then Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, God, that's really tough. Yeah. But hopefully what we do is we take those experiences and do something with them in an effort to meet our needs, right? Because if I'm an anxious person and when people don't text me back, <laughs> like that increases my anxiety. One, we need to ha- we need to have some radical acceptance that people are not just waiting to text us back at all the time. But also of, it's hard for me then to reach out via text. Like some of that is going to inform then our behaviors and how we navigate things or, or what we may tell our friends or things like that. It's funny because I know the people in my life who get anxious if you don't return text quickly, right? Like we learn that about each other Mm -hmm. and then how to best meet the needs of other people in our relationships and things like that. But then what we could also learn from some of that is if someone in your life doesn't give a shit about that, okay, well then how do we take that information and make some better choices around that? Yeah, and this might go with coping skill stuff more, but the idea of, um, like, if you need support, make sure you're asking a person who's capable of giving that to you. Yeah. Like, if you know that you have a person that never answers the phone when you call for whatever reason, even like, it doesn't have to be because they don't care. It could be, like, they work at Amazon and they're not allowed to have their phone or whatever. 
that can't be the person that you call when you need help. Oh, yeah. Your supports <laughs> need to be accessible. Yeah, it needs to be someone else. And if you keep calling the person who can't answer the phone, then you're only confirming your beliefs mm-hmm. and disrupting your nervous system's ability to learn something new and insulating them further. So, yeah, but that, yeah, feels more like next time's conversation. So we can table that a little bit unless you have any final thoughts to add to it. No, mm -mm. I mean, I think we've used the phrase or the word disconfirming, like we want to have a disconfirming experience. And I was talking with a client about that idea recently in session, but just like, we want to have these experiences that tell our emotional learning that had a negative kind of outcome that that's not always going to be the case. Mm -hmm. Right. So we want to kind of have an experience that's going to be like, Oh wow, that isn't always true. Mm -hmm. Every partner isn't going to cheat on me or leave me because I'm having this experience now that tells me the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to do to continue to kind of challenge those more negative, significant experiences and thoughts. But in order to do that, we have to give ourselves the opportunity to do that. And that can be hard based on if our feelings are telling us it's not safe to do that. Which is also why it's important to get attuned with yourself and pay attention to when you're having neutral or what can be interpreted as positive experiences. Cause the absent, like feeling if you have a new experience, like a disconfirming experience, if the only thing that I'm able to say about it is like, Oh, well that's, not like it was before, that's not as helpful as saying like, wow, I feel relief and connected to this person rather than like, oh, it was a fluke kind of. Oh, yes, yes. You know, so if you're able to identify like, okay, this experience was a challenge to like, like say you're trying to do some communication with a partner and you're like developing security in your attachment and you tell them something really hard and they meet you with, you know, acceptance and care and connection then having just, it takes, you know, five seconds to be like, okay, wow, this feels really secure. This feels really safe. This feels really comfortable. My body feels relaxed. I feel relief, whatever. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, oh, thank God that didn't go the way it's always gone before. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of like for true crime fans out there, that idea of confirmation bias yeah. and how terrible that is yeah. <laughs> um, in police work and detective work and all of that stuff. And a lot of times, like that's so true of the human experience is we are looking for things. I mean, think about the political like arena right now. Like we are looking things to confirm like our thoughts and our feelings around something. So yeah, think of how powerful it is to then allow yourself to step back from that and have the opposite experience of like, Oh wow. That's different. Not only different than what I expected and what I'm used to experiencing, but better. Yeah. And the nervous system, like the whole purpose of it, not the whole pur- one of the main purposes of it is to assess for threat in your surroundings and in your mm-hmm. environment. But something that you can also train it to do is assess for safety and yeah. assessing for threat is different than assessing for safety. So assessing for threat is going to be looking for all that stuff that feels distressing. Whereas assessing for safety is going to be looking for all those things that feels comforting mm-hmm. to you. Um, but your nervous, especially if you have trauma, your nervous system and brain have developed all these shortcuts that like, it's either faster or more trustworthy to assess for threat than it is to mm-hmm. assess for safety. And so that's a, assessing for safety is something that you really have to practice and yeah. like strengthen that skill. Yeah. Well, and when it comes to like the neural pathway piece of that is like the more that we do something, the deeper the pathway becomes in our brain. And what's really tricky about that is um, I always give this example. I don't know if I've said it here on mic, but I know I say it in session all the time. Like, 
when my dogs go out in the backyard, the little trail that they take around their <laughs> yard around the yard stops becoming um, a grass part of the yard and becomes like a little dirt path, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how our brain works. Like the more that we do something, the deeper the pathway in our brain. And a lot of times it's because we've learned safety from that, right? Our nervous system's a part of that process. And so if we try to do the opposite thing or a different thing and create a new pathway, it's only going to get deeper and more powerful the more that we take that pathway. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, it's not as easy as being like, wait, brain, like stop, take the other pathway. I mean, it requires a lot of attunement and insight in the moment. Yeah. And practice. And, yeah. I use that. the example of like, geez, and this is a, like the classic, you probably heard this in your EMDR stuff too, but the, um, like rolling a boulder down the hill. Yep. And so like, if you roll a boulder down the hill, I pointed to when Jen was talking, I pointed to my backyard because my neighbor dogs, they have like this little pathway and it mm-hmm. looks just like a boulder down a hill. But, um, you know, the the boulder will find that pathway and just consistently roll down it. And so if you try to develop a new pathway near it, it's going to be more challenging. And sometimes it might still pop back into the original pathway because it's just the path of least resistance. But the mm-hmm. more you practice the old pathway will, you know, get grass growing over it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's just another, I like the dog analogy better, but mm. yeah, that's just how I have always explained it. So, um, I do, do you have another thought? No. Uh-uh. Okay. I do. We didn't write this down, but I want to, um, go over some of the common thought distortions. Oh yeah. And so something that I give pretty much every single client when I f- first start, you know, probably within the first like three sessions is the list of cognitive distortions or thinking errors. Um, and there's some pretty common ones. And so I'll have them monitor, you know, check off every time you did this thing throughout the week. And so some of them are things like all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. Those are kind of the same thing. Um, so either this or that it was either good or it was bad, right? No room for gray. Um, or it was totally something and none of the other thing. Mm hmm. Um, over generalization. So I had this one experience. And so any other kind of experience must be like that. Um, you know, it could be as simple as like, all people with blonde hair are stupid or whatever. I have blonde hair. So I'm the one saying that, but not to target any blondes out there. But like, that's an overgeneralization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one that people especially with anxiety do a lot is catastrophizing. What? Huh? <laughs> no. So catastrophizing is like that worst case scenario, yeah. you know, always eventually ending in like death or something really terrible or close to death. Um, I think one that comes up a lot that I see in relationships is fortune telling. Yeah. Right. So you're just going to, well, I would have told you that, but then you would have said this or you would have. And it's like, wow, you, you seem to have a lot of future predictions about things. Mm-hmm. And or mind reading is yeah, part of that reading. too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I know this person so well that I know what they're going to think. And I will often challenge people like, well, did they say that? Did you ask them? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, th- that's part of what the skill of, that's what the intervention part is, which we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so mind reading, yes, is another one. Um, I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head, but I can pull them up on my computer too because I have my little yeah. document that I give to everybody. Well, look at you. Let's see if I can find it. I never save anything in a useful place. Oh, yeah. Well, in the moment you're like, this is, I'm totally going to remember that it's here. Then you're like, no, the time comes. It's like the secret drawer where you put your birth certificate or whatever. It's like, <laughs> that is not. <laughs> the right place for this oh, god where is my birth certificate <laughs> all right here we go oh nope that's the wrong one i feel like we need um 
elevator music? Yeah, like Jeopardy <laughs> music. This is not the one that I normally give, but it is one that we can look at. Fortune telling, black and white thinking, mind reading, overgeneralization. Those were the first couple on there. Um, labeling. So this is that idea of my feelings are facts um, or that like if I say I'm a loser. Oh, yep. So then that must mean something about you. Mm-hmm. Oh, shooting. Mm-hmm. Shooting is a big one that people do a lot. So I should have done this or I should do that or shouldn't is also part of that. Um, that's not the one that I want to use, though, because they have other ones. Hold on. Here we go. Yes, this is what I want. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I guess I could edit that out, but... Um, magnifying or minimizing things. Ooh. So exaggerating or minimizing the importance of events. So like this is that example of, you know, when you can't sleep at night and you're thinking about that thing that you said in third grade or yeah. whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, how could I say that? That's the worst thing ever. Like that's also catastrophizing a little bit, but jumping to conclusions mm-hmm. and then emotional reasoning. That's what I was trying to say when I said labeling, that was incorrect. Um, Deciding that feelings are facts. If I feel this way, it must be true. So I feel like a bad person, so I must be a bad person, for example. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons that I really like to give this to people is because it's like, oh, this thing is so common that there's a whole worksheet that everybody reads that is like, oh, yeah, I do these things too. Because a lot of people think that they're the only ones that think like that. Um, So that's also a thing that is you know, mm-hmm. concerning for folks, but yeah. Well, it just normalizes the human experience of that. Totally. Yeah. Oh, so let's talk about, um, like, what do we do about these things? And we've kind of been talking about that already, but let's be explicit and specific about it. So cognitive behavioral therapy is some people like it. Some people hate it. I definitely don't think it's the only model, but it is a use. There's useful tools in it for sure. Yes. Um, And so that's, we're not endorsing it completely or not at all. We're just saying like, these are specific tools that we would use from CBT. So there's the idea of what's called an ABC sheet or worksheet. And so it's identifying an activating event or trigger Mm -hmm. the belief you have about that event or your thinking parts, and then the consequences, which is usually the feeling stuff. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to change the consequences Well, you can either intervene at the A or the B. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you can't change the A, the event, so you can only change the thinking part. And so that's where it's like, okay, Jen didn't answer my text is the activating event. Jen hates me. That's the belief. Sadness is the consequence. So if I want to feel neutral, or acceptance, I can say, instead of Jen hates me, Jen might be busy. Mm-hmm. And that's a very simplified version of that, but that's basically what CBT is and yeah. how to use it. Yes. So you kind of take whatever the thought distortion is and you want to turn it into something that feels a little bit more objectively true, right? So instead of catastrophizing, jumping to conclusions, black or white thinking, Okay, let me kind of take that away from the scenario and let's just label what I know to be true. Yeah, yeah. what are the facts of this situation? Yeah, well, and that goes back to that piece of like, yeah, you can't really change the activating like scenario, like whatever that is. I mean, in some cases you can. Like if you know any time that you have um, an argument, you're going like with this person, you're going to feel this way. Then it's like, okay, what might be some ways that we can 
um, choose our battles and do some things to make the activating event happen with less frequency. So I think there is some stuff around that, but we can't rely on that Mm -hmm. to change the emotional experience. So, well, and I think that's what anxiety can drive that a lot from this idea of, I talk with clients a lot about the difference between, um, having a plan and being prepared. Mm -hmm. So like having a plan when it's coming from an anxiety place is like, I'm going to do here are all the potential scenarios and how I will handle all of these potential scenarios, which like that is not helpful because that's infinite. And so you're going to really drive yourself nuts and get really tired or being prepared, which is, I know that I have the skill of identifying my thoughts and challenging them effectively, and then using coping skills. So you don't have to plan for every scenario. You can be prepared for whatever might come. Yeah, yeah. Well, and in CBT, it really does teach you to try to do it in that order of like activating event, and then what's the belief around it. But for a lot of people, especially when they're newly trying to increase attunement, it can be helpful to walk it backwards. Mm -hmm. And I do that a lot in the session. Like, what is the thing that you can identify? Like, can you identify if you can identify the antecedent or the trigger first, like that's really great. Um, But if you can't, and maybe you understand the emotion, but not the thought behind it, then okay, start with the emotion. Okay, so based on this emotion, what does that tell us about um, the situation? Like, what do then we believe about the situation or believe about ourselves? Or if you can get really good about the thought, but not identifying the emotion, then let's pull out that feelings wheel. Maybe let's look at the physical body sensation that we're having. Like we have to use kind of our context clues. Like, okay, what do we know and how can we use that information to fill in whatever the gaps are? And then again, like the more that we do that, the more attuned we're going to be, meaning we're going to then trust ourselves more in the moment, be able to identify it in the moment. Cause just like the dog trail in the backyard, like we're going to make that pathway deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's even if you can't necessarily resolve anything for yourself at the very least using that is a tool to help validate yourself oh yeah so even if you're having a trouble like changing the belief if you can at least see like well i believe this and it resulted in this feeling then you can validate well yeah it makes sense that you feel sad if you if you believe your best friend hates you sadness is appropriate yeah we'd like to be able to challenge that your best friend hates you but if you're not there yet at least you can validate yourself Mm -hmm. and know that your feelings make sense based off of your experience yeah well a lot of times if not always when you're doing this work with a therapist or just like there for yourself and you're trying to increase your feelings vocabulary and identifying those things in the moment and being more um, aware of your thoughts as you have them you need to spend a lot of time there, like not trying to then fix it or Mm -hmm. figure out the next step. Like let's kind of figure out this step and how, um, how best we can increase our understanding of all of that stuff before we move on to, okay. And then what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. Cause we have to do one thing at a time. Yep. And so I think that just to reiterate, like how important it is to or one of the reasons it's useful to identify your feelings is so then you can validate yourself. Yes. Because I mean, that's a big part of why people come to therapy is because they want to be validated. And if Mm -hmm. you can use that tool and transfer it to be able to validate yourself, then you can use your therapy time for the next step of like the coping skills or whatever that might look like. Yeah. Cause usually most of the time in session when I'm trying to help people with validation is I'm reframing their thought process, right? Mm -hmm. Like, of course you feel upset and saddened and disappointed by that because of this, 
not because it's kind of like that whole thing we talked about before about content versus the process or the context of something like the content is what might be easier for you to say like, yeah, because he didn't do the dishes. And so I felt really upset. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really what's happening. Really, the thought process is the responsibilities aren't shared. And so I feel taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times I think that's us voicing that for for our clients until they're able to be more connected to do that for themselves. Definitely. I thought that I just had while you were talking and maybe this, we should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I didn't have the thought earlier is it's important also to know that you can experience more than one emotion at the same time or in the same like experience, same event, if you will. And sometimes those emotions might be conflicting with one another. So you might be Mm. excited about something and also really scared and, that feels confusing. And so a lot of people will say like, well, I don't know how I feel or I'm overwhelmed. Like overwhelmed, I think is kind of a catch all meaning I have a lot of feelings going on at the same time and I don't know what they all are. So a lot of times I will give clients the assignment or the tool of like, and maybe this, we could talk about this again next time. But um, if you notice that you're having a lot of spiraling in your thoughts and kind of that, you know, rumination is make a list of, I feel blank and write down all of the feelings that you have and then because so i feel angry because i feel sad because i feel happy because i feel scared whatever i've just said all the main ones there's more than that just i feel disappointed i feel shame whatever and so then that again is validating i'm like okay yeah this makes sense and if you've got a list of 10 emotions on a piece of paper it's like yeah no wonder i feel overwhelmed also because there's a lot of stuff here going on yeah so that was i just wanted to Add that little thing in there. So Mm. as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you want to add about identifying emotions, sensations, differentiating with thoughts, any final tips, tricks? No, no. Try neither. Try to try to do it. (laughs) It, I think so helpful. I think the last thing, which we've already said several times, but just a reminder of like this takes practice. Yeah, takes a lot of practice. And it might sound silly, but. Honestly, if you have a hard time with identifying emotions, like either Google an emotions wheel or literally Google just like list of feelings and then you can see, oh my gosh, there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. And the more nuanced and specific you can get with what you're experiencing, the more validated you're going to feel. Oh, yeah. And the more clearly you're going to be able to communicate that to yourself and to whoever you're, you might be experiencing that with or who's supporting Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So that means it's time for a joke so hopefully we can feel enjoyment (laughs) enjoyment and laughter i feel humorous (laughs) um okay let's see this is a joke that travis told me yesterday great he was really proud of it when he told me did he make it up no he had heard it somewhere on the interwebs all right um what happened when the rainbow got in trouble i don't know he went to prism, but don't worry, it was a light sentence. <laughs> that is good. I do like that. <laughs> it's like a little two-parter punchline. Yeah, I like that. And yeah. it's a little science tidbit in there for you, too. Know. <laughs> I hope that got a chuckle out of y'all. Well done, Trav. Oh, good job. Thanks for listening, everybody. And hopefully you have lots of feelings coming out about this. Hopefully all ones that feel pleasurable to you. But maybe not. And that's okay. Some that are unpleasant or distressing. That's That's fine. Yeah, that's cool too. There's space for all these feelings. Have your emotional experience. Yeah. Let us know what you think and how you're feeling and 
All that stuff. Yeah, the end. <laughs> we really got to work on wrapping this up with a better closing kind of thing. I mean, I'm just not great at it. It's just like after we I'm feeling tell, insecure. After we tell the joke, it's like, where do we go from here? You just say, all right, bye. Yep. See ya. Bye.